Hey all welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host of course. Today I've got another great guest who's been on before, my friend Jason Logsdon of Amazing Food Made Easy. We're going to talk about some other things besides the International Sous Vide Association and talk about some other stuff that Jason's got going on. I'll be right back with Jason Logsdon. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from Hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with, Fresh Jack's Organic Spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small, family-run company that's fast-growing. I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they are all fresh, all organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's Organic Spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren. I am your host, of course. And today I have another friend of mine that's been on a couple times, Mr. Jason Logsdon of Amazing Food Made Easy. And we're going to discuss uh, some of the other stuff that Jason does besides some of the sous vide stuff we always seem to talk about. Jason, welcome back to the podcast. And go ahead and just so people who haven't heard you before, introduce yourself, where you're from and what you do. Awesome. It's great to be back here, Darren. Always have a great time. I'm Jason Logston. I uh, I run AmazingFoodMadeEasy.com. I'm the president of the International Sous Vide Association, and I also have a website that helps bloggers uh, better monetize their blogs and serve their fans called uh, Making Bacon. And I've been writing about sous vide and modernist cooking for about the last decade now, seems like forever. Um, and it's uh, something I've really enjoyed doing, and I've got to meet a lot of wonderful people like Darren and a lot of the guests on the the Firewater podcast in the past that he's had. So it's uh, it's been a fun journey for me, and I'm excited to talk about something besides just uh, pure sous vide, which is what I talk about most days. Yeah, and I first um, ran into you from actually your books, but I also, uh, your, your Facebook group, uh, Exploring Sous Vide, is actually the largest sous vide um dedicated uh, facebook group out there there's some other ones that kind of you know similar size but yours is by far the biggest and probably the most um most people that participate on a regular basis and the most helpful as far as i'm concerned um you said you tend to you know put a lot of good information out there there's a lot of good participation from a lot of the people that are members there and um people don't feel like they're going to get beat up when they go there and, you know, they're not, they're not told that they have to do things a certain way. And, you know, um, you know, you give them good safe information, but you don't bang it over their heads. Like some of the other groups I've experienced out there. Um, and that's kind of how I try to focus my group. I, I use your group as kind of a, uh, you know, a litmus test of how I want my group to run. I want people to feel comfortable asking questions feel comfortable sharing their posts and all that. But um, before you started um, that Facebook group, I guess you kind of started writing books and all that. But I want to go back a little bit further and say, what did you actually, how, how did you actually get into this? I mean, what did you do before you started looking at writing cookbooks and, and modernist cuisine stuff and sous vide? So for probably the previous 15 to 20 years before I started writing, um, I was a computer programmer. My expertise was in fantasy sports. So I worked at ESPN and was in charge of, when I left there, I was in charge of all their mini games. So their pigskin pick them, their March Madness tournament um, challenge game, uh, helped out a lot on their draft and manage games. And so I did a lot of computer programming there. Uh, I ended up leaving ESPN for an internet startup that my boss's boss started. He took me with him and we built a, a fun sports online sports community around fantasy sports, um, ended up selling that to sports illustrated, which is a, was a fun process to go through and got to work with a lot of great brands like the NFL, um, the NCAA, uh, the United States Olympic committee and got to work with, uh, 
doing various projects and building out applications for them. So there is a definitely a fun programming kind of journey as a big sports fan. It's something that I enjoyed doing a lot. And during that time, I was cooking for fun. I was learning to cook. I didn't cook too much growing up. So it was kind of a new experience for me to explore when I had downtime. And I started uh, for one Christmas, I got a copy of Thomas Keller's Under Pressure Cookbook and a sous vide, the old crock pot temperature controllers when you would plug your crock pot <laughs> into it and there would turn it on and off. And I read through the book and I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about having still read the book. So I decided to do some research and figure out what was out there. And at the time, the only information was on eGullet, which was a like 300 page long message board thread. There's a single thread in the message board. <laughs> and there is a bunch of like nobodies in there, like Nathan Miragold and Douglas Baldwin, who are like huge names now, but they were just random people in this thread exploring sous vide and talking about what they were doing and really diving into the process. And once I followed their stuff, I was like, this actually isn't that hard. Like they're talking about a lot of complicated concepts, but when you boil it down to the basics, it's pretty easy. And I started writing about it. That turned into a book and then a dozen more books. And 10 years later, I have video courses about um, how to cook sous vide and helped co-found the International Sous Vide Association. So it was very accidental how I got into this, but I've really enjoyed what I've been doing. Well, one of the things I've always appreciated with your books and the um, Facebook group and, and everything else that you do, the, your website, even your time and temp um, uh, guide that you have on your on your uh, website, is that it's easy to understand. You have ranges so people can, you know, I, you know, I, I see this all the time where people will, you know, try to get just, I want the exact time and temp for this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, you got to understand that you know, especially with uh, tenderness, uh, you know, there's an, even a doneness level, you know, medium rare, there's a range, you know, there's a, for a tenderness, there's a tenderness, there's a range of what it can be. And it, that could be a personal taste. So, you know, medium rare can be anywhere from, you know, 131 to, you know, 136 or 137 on the higher end and all, you know, phases in between that. So, that's what I like about your stuff is you, you know, fix for that. You put that in there so people can kind of understand that where a lot of people don't, it's just like they, you know, if they write a recipe, it's, this is what it is, you know, do it this way. So I, I really like the fact that you kind of dumb a lot of this stuff down. You know, when I first started, I did the same thing that you did. I started, I threw myself into it trying to find as much information as I could about sous vide and, and all that. Cause that's kind of what I like to do is uh, trying to learn as much. And then, like you said, you know, Baldwin's great. It's a great resource and he's got a lot of information in there, but most people that look at that, if you send them to that, his, his pasteurization tables, it's all, you know, Chinese to them. They, they couldn't figure it out and they don't understand that there's suit, there's pasteurization tables, then there's tenderness tables and, and cooking, you know, timetables. And they're all kind of different and they all have a different purpose. And, you know, he's, very technical about everything. And when you watch his videos, he can kind of put you to sleep because he's the same way. <laughs> but um, that, that's one of the things I appreciate about you, you. You take something that could be very complicated and, you know, uh, people make it complicated, but you make it where people, the normal people like me and you who are home cooks can understand it. That's been definitely a goal of mine. Just in pretty much everything I do is trying to take these complicated systems and boil it down to like, this is what you need to get started. And remember that, you know, I always keep my mother-in-law in mind when I'm writing my stuff for beginners. It's what can my mother-in-law follow? She's adventurous. She does some home cooking. She now does sous vide because I've got into it, but she is not, you know, David Petranzik or AJ Schaller. That is this precise, you know, really going down the rabbit hole of science and what's going on with it. So I try to think, how can I express this to her? And then I try to provide information for people that do want to dive in more, but that's not what I'm hitting them over the head with. You don't need to know thermal death curves to understand how to cook a chicken breast your first time. So I don't present that to people. I say, this is the safe time. There's a safe temperature, go around here and you're going to be safe. If you want more information, 
here's a much longer description about why it's safe and why it's not. And then from there, I normally link to, if you want to really understand this, here's Baldwin. You can read his equations and the stuff that he literally got a published mathematical research paper from <laughs> doing his, his stuff that he shares with us. Like it's way up there, great content. But like you said, I still learn something when I read through it. And I've been doing this for a decade and I've read through his stuff multiple times. And it's, I still will be like, oh, I didn't quite understand that the first six times I read it. Now it's starting to click. And if you don't even understand how time and temperature affects food, you're, there's no way you're going to understand what he's talking about. So I try to get people started and kind of give them those early wins. That's what I'm all about is that first chicken breast, that first pork tenderloin you cook and you're like, this is transformational. This is amazing. Then people get committed. Then they'll start doing a little more research and will take the time to understand it because they know what the benefits are of doing it at that point. Yeah. And I think one of the things I think scares a lot of people off or makes them poo poo. Uh, I run into this in the barbecue circles a lot because they don't understand it and they look at it and it scares the hell out of them. They go, ah, I don't even want to deal with it. It's, then So they'll trash it. It's, ah, sous vide sucks. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tried to cook a steak once and it didn't work out for me. It didn't taste good. You know, so I, I see a lot of that. And um, I try to, I try to tell people it's like, it's not going to replace a cooking method. It actually can enhance. That's why I kind of, I go at, a, at that direction. I mean, I was just on a podcast last night on a barbecue podcast. And I, I tried to radiate, radiate uh, make him understand that, I'm not saying sous vide is going to replace traditional barbecue cooking. It's just, it can make something that you can't make, you know, with either of these cooking methods on their own, you know, by itself, sous vide is not really a complete cooking method because you need most of the time you need something to finish it off with a, you know, sear or what have you. But if you mix it with other cooking methods, you can make something that you couldn't make with those separate cooking methods by themselves. And that's what really excites me about it. And and once you get the basics down, you can kind of figure out what you can use it for and how it's going to be beneficial. But if you look at it and you cross your eyes because all you see is these charts and you know different equipment, it's it's going to scare you off. So I try to make it as easy as possible for people as well. But you're going to always have people that you know aren't interested. There's a lot of people that they, they focus in just like on brands or, you know, you know, I'm a Chevy truck guy. They'll, I'm a barbecue guy and that's all I cook. You know, they don't cook anything else at home. You know, they're relegated by their wife to cook and barbecue outside. And that's what they have fun doing. Those people I'm not going to convince to use sous vide and mix it with barbecue because they're the guys that just, all they do is cook barbecue outside or they're barbecue competitors. And that's what they're focused on. They don't really have an interest in exploring any other cooking methods or mixing it with anything else. They want to do one thing one way and, and that's it. So uh, I think you're going to have those type of people, but, but people like me and you have fun teaching people and, and breaking it down and showing it to them. And that's what drives me as well. I was like talking to people and I ask them, you know, like what, what do you always use sous vide for? And what do you never use sous vide for? Like even things that you tried and you're like, Nope, there's other ways that are better. And it always amazes me how much crossover there is between them that some people like only cook salmon sous vide and other people never cook salmon sous vide. And same thing for like corn and beans and eggs. Like there's all these things that some people are like, I only use sous vide for this. And there's this whole other group of people that's tried it. And they're like, yeah, no, I never use sous vide for that. I do it in a pressure cooker or, you know, boiling on the stove. And it's just a great reminder that sous vide is a tool. It is right. one tool in your kitchen and we all have different needs and we're going to use it for different things. My big example is every time I post sous vide oatmeal, they say, why would you do sous vide oatmeal? And my answer is, so I don't have to clean up oatmeal off my stove. Cause every time I cook it on a pot, it boils over onto my stove. And I acknowledge that's cause I'm an idiot and I'm screwing up, but that's still what I do every time. So sous vide's great for that for me. Cause I don't have to clean up my stove it might not be right for you. And I'm not going to be upset if you don't want to cook your oatmeal sous vide. Right. That's, you know, mashed potatoes is a good one too, for me, because uh, people go, why would you do that? And it's like, well, a, 
I'm not boiling them in water to where they're, the water is sucking all the flavor out of the potatoes, you know, because what do you do with that water when it's done boiling? You dump it out and there goes most of the flavor of your potatoes. If you do it in a bag, you, you're keeping all that potato flavor in there with your butter and your cream and all that. And then you can just mush it up with your hands and then pipe it out, you know, and, and save yourself a pot and, you know, a serving dish and everything else. But, um, you know, some things just make sense. And, you know, but you're like, like I said, you know, before, and I tell people all the time, you're going to have personal preferences. I, one of the arguments I had last night, it wasn't really an argument uh, on that podcast was, you know, it's a barbecue and meathead goes on there once a month. And, you know, meathead has kind of come out now and said, well, he prefers a reverse sear on a ribeye instead of sous vide now, because the flavor of the it cooking in the, you know, the smoke for that time before he grills it off is better. So this, you know, the person that was interviewing me said, well, you know, me had totally changed his mind now on steaks and says, it's not worth, I said, well, that's not what he said. He said, on ribeyes. I said, now there's top sirloin where I'm sure that he would actually say no, because I can cook it for eight hours in the sous vide and make that sirloin, which is normally not very tender, very tender and juicy now. So there are certain things that people may prefer cooking traditionally, and that's great. And um, nobody's saying that every, you know, cooking methods have to be used, you know, for this or that, you know, that's one of the whole points of my whole thing is mix them together and find out what works for you. And if you don't like it that way, like you said, some people will go, Hey, I love doing fish sous vide. And then other people, I never do fish sous vide. <laughs> so, and it's just personal preference and, and, and people figuring out on their own, you know, what they like, and what they don't like and how, how to do it. I mean, that guy who doesn't like to do fish CV probably just hasn't figured out how he, to do it the way he likes it. And I always think it's funny too, when people talk about what's best, because that's such a <laughs> abstract concept and oh, it's yeah. just, you know, they, yeah, I can get like a two inch thick ribeye and I can, you know, reverse sear it and, you know, finish it <laughs> off some smoke and there's, I could, you know, spend five hours cooking it and it's going to be an incredibly amazing tasting ribeye. But sometimes what's best is I had a steak that's going to go bad pretty soon. I've been too busy at work to set aside any time and I just want to cook it and eat it when it's perfectly cooked and really good. And throwing it into the sous vide machine is the easiest way to get to that. So at that time, what's best for me is something that's going to get it cooked and still perfectly cooked, but get it cooked and in my belly. <laughs> and yeah, the other way would be fun. And I can do that sometimes, but right now what's best for me is just convenience. Exactly. And, and food prep and all kinds of things. One of the, one of the things I, I kind of wanted to talk about last night with this guy was to say, you know, just like in barbecue competitions, you know, Myron Mixon doesn't win every barbecue competition he, he signs up for. Cause you got different judges, you know, that, that cook that day could be totally different. You know, the wood, you know, there's all kinds of variables. So he, he might, you know, the last competition he did, he was number one, but the second one he did, he's number 10 or number 30 because of, you know, different judges have different palates and things didn't turn out quite right. So to say that what's the best, I want the absolute best. Number one thing I cook chicken a hundred different ways. <laughs> And I love it all. You know, I like fried chicken. I like, you know, roasted chicken. I like barbecue chicken. I like chicken a la king. You know, <laughs> I like, you know, there's a million different ways to cook things and, and recipes and all that. To try to figure out what is the best is, is kind of silly to me. And <clears throat> I don't know where it comes from, but it's, um, you know, that concept is kind of foreign to me. And I kind of, I always let people know it's like, just what, what are you looking for? That's what I ask him, you know, cause I had somebody in my Facebook group today. What's the best way to do this? Well, what kind of result are you looking for? Yeah. Are you looking for traditional type barbecue stuff? Are you looking for, you want something a little bit more tender, a little bit more juicier, more, you know, done. This is a little bit less than, you know, what are you looking for? Tell me what you like. And then we can kind of, you know, put you in the right direction to, to try something. So one thing I've focused on a lot of my content is explaining to people what's happening, like we talked about in a basic manner, but not saying like, this is the ribeye recipe. I try to say, this is how you can do a ribeye. And there might be two or three ways, but this is one way to do it. And this is kind of why, what this recipe is trying to accomplish. And then they can take that and put their own spin on it, use their own spices, cuisine, whatever they want to do. They can take my information and make it their own and 
use it in ways that they're interested in. And that was a big thing when I was writing a lot about modernist cooking, because a lot of those modernist dishes like spherification and foams and gelling, like they are used in upscale restaurants to do very specific things and they take forever to do. But at home, you could do a lot of those with soy sauce. It'll take you five minutes and your friends are going to go, what the heck is this? This is amazing. And it took you almost no extra time. And so teaching those base concepts you can then run with as much as you want is something that I always really enjoy doing. Yeah. And, and you don't sit there and go, well, this is the best way, you know, to, you know, a lot of, a lot of the higher end restaurants, it's not, it's the best. It's something cool and different and fun. And, you know, it's exciting and it's something you can't get every other day. And that's kind of what I try to tell people is that, you know, just explore, you know, different methods and, and mix them together and seasonings and foods. And, and, you know, I love going to, you know, a buffet and try different types of foods, you know, you know, you go to the Chinese buffet when it's got you know, like 40 different kinds of uh, chicken, you know, I like that. Cause like, Hey, I like this one. I don't like that one. I like this. I'm not a big spicy guy, you know, but then there's people who like a lot of heavy spice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everybody's going to have their own uh, palate and their own way of cooking, but um, there's nothing, like you said, there's no, is this the best way? <laughs> I yeah. just, that concept is kind of so foreign to me. Hey, I want to take a second and talk about Inkbird's brand new instant read thermometer, the IHT-1S. This thing has a lot of great high-end features and a very affordable price. It is 100% waterproof with an IP67 rating, a 2 to 3 second ultra-fast response time, backlit, fully rechargeable, no batteries to replace. This thing has got all the high-end features that you would want in an instant read thermometer. Very durable. So check it out, guys. Check out the Inkbird IHT-1S instant read thermometer. I think you're going to love it. It'll be your go-to instant read from now on. And now back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. So let's talk about what else you do. So, you know, I don't want to get too far into the sous vide stuff. So a lot of the stuff that you do, you kind of branched off into when you started writing your books it all boils down into wanting to help and teach people because now you don't just have those books that help people with the modernist cooking or sous vide. You also have courses now on how to uh, work your food blog and, and make that better. And you uh, you also have a, how to publish your own cookbook, which I, you know, I got a lot of advice from you and I took that course and I really, <laughs> it got my book, you know, uh, up and going and uh, out there. And I really appreciate that. So, it seems to me like you just love helping people. And then whenever you try something, you try to show them exactly how you did it and, and ideas and get them to uh, latch onto what you did. Is that, that kind of the, the way you look at things? Yeah, I very much like learning and I also like teaching, which is nice. Um, so I, I had been blogging for about a decade and I was like, there's a lot of people I know that, you know, when they're running a food blog and they have ads on their site and that's all that they do, or maybe they have affiliates and that's it. And I was doing so many different things that I wanted to kind of share the different ways that I was making money with them. I'd been running a blog full time as my income for quite a while. And I wanted to kind of share some of this stuff. Cookbook publishing um, was really big for me. I've self-published most of my books. I've had uh, two or three traditionally published now, but it's a, not that complicated of a process when you dive in, if you spend some time and um, putting out video courses, teaching hands-on classes, doing sponsored posts. There's all these ways that food bloggers can make money. And I try to teach them that here's how you can make money. And the easiest way to make money is to find problems that your audience has and then solve it for them. Like that's all you have to do. It's, it's a pretty simple concept. It's hard to come up with those sometimes, but that's the easiest way to make money long-term and to grow your audience. Because if you're solving people's problems, they are happy to pay you money for it. When I put out the first cookbook for sous vide for home cooks, people were happy to give me money because they wanted that information and I was the only one providing it. So that's what I've tried to share. And it's been really fun working with different bloggers who do different things from, you know, vegan keto food to, um, you know, up through modernist cooking with uh, pressure cookers, uh, curing, smoking, people from all walks of blogging. It's been really interesting working with them. Well, and I, this is your main 
uh, website, I guess the one that kind of started it all amazing food made easy. And one of the things I loved about it is that you have a, a various different things on there. It's not like a regular blog where it's just you once a week posting, you know, a recipe or, you know, musing about, you know, one thing or another, you have a lot of information. The first thing is here is you got your, uh, you know, your jumpstart, a free email course for sous vide. So people can actually, you know, gets a lot of good information just for free from your website by doing the email course. You got the sous vide times and temps that um, people can, and I, I point people to this all the time. And I told you about this offline is because you're one of the only ones that actually breaks down ranges and not just, um, you know, done this, but also for times for tenderness and, um, a lot of them are just kind of locked in. If you looked up a recipe or you looked up an app, it'll tell you, you know, this, and you know, here's your time and here's your temp, but you have a range, which I've, I always appreciate because, you know, maybe I don't want it at 130 degrees, you know, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I, I want it medium rare, but I want it more like 134 degrees, you know, for a ribeye, it's got a little bit more fat to it than, than a, you know, a really lean steak. So maybe you need that to be a little bit higher on the medium rare uh, range than the lower end. So that's what I really appreciate about your website. There's a lot of information in there that you give away. You, you give away a lot of good information, but you also, you know, people, like you said, people don't have any kind of a problem looking at an ad or, or uh, clicking and buying a product or, uh, you know, paying you for a class if they they're going to get more out of it. And I've, taken a couple of your, you know, CV classes and I've helped, um, helped you market those as well, because there's a lot of good information in there that people should take the time to do it, especially if they're new and they they're looking for information that's geared towards a new person. <laughs> you know, they, like you said, you tried to read Thomas Keller's book right off the bat and it just kind of, it's like giving them Baldwin and go, Hey, read this book. And they'll go, Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, you know, they, they'll read the first chapter and then fall asleep and never look at it again, right? So yeah. that's one thing I try to focus on too is that knowing who my audience is. Like my audience is beginning to intermediate cooks in a large, uh, for, for the most part, and that's because I am a intermediate to probably now semi-advanced um, sous vide. But I I'm not going to pass myself off as this, you know godly expert or something like I know too many smart people um, that do sous vide. I know too many people that, you know, cook sous vide in restaurants that are doing things that I don't even understand because I'm, I don't work in a restaurant. I don't have a chef's background. And so I try to be very honest with my readers about this is what you're going to get. This is my expertise. You know, I have probably once every six months, someone comes into my group and says, why should I listen to what you have to say? Like, who the hell are you? And I say, <laughs> No one. I'm no one. I never I'm claimed to guy. be anyone. Like, <laughs> if you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. Like, I have no credentials. I've been sous vide for for 12 years now. That's my credential. Like, if you don't like it, there's a lot of other people that have qualifications, you know? Exactly. Um, but well, that's the one, people I talk to. One of the things I love when I interview, I love interviewing, you know, people that are famous. Like, when I had Kenji on, on the podcast, mm -hmm. you know. You would think Kenji went to, you know, Juilliard or he went to some, you know, you know, the CIA or, you know, some really highfalutin um, culinary school, but he went to college for, you know, you know, for uh, architecture, you know, <laughs> he, he never went to culinary school at all. He just worked in restaurants and kind of studied and threw himself into it. So there's a lot of people out there like that, you know, that they don't have any professional, you know, they didn't go to culinary school in France, you know, there's a couple, there's some people that do, you know, and that's, there's more power to them, but you don't have to be some world renowned studied at the best, you know, culinary school in the world to have somebody look at you. You know, if it's like me or you, we've done that from experience. I, you know, I, I approach it as I've exper I've experimented, I've done these things. My personal taste is the way I'm going to show you how to do it. You might like it different, you're more than welcome. Here's other ways to try it. And, but, um, you know, here you got to do, make sure you're safe, make sure you're doing it the, the proper way. So you're not getting anybody sick or, uh, going to hurt yourself. But, you know, from my experience, from what I've done and from what I've talked to people, you know, I've, I've talked to experts on this, so this is how it should be. So let's get into 
transition from the sous vide stuff to since you started doing it in writing the books and the blog, now you've started to show people how they can do it because that was one of my things. I talked to people who wrote books and most of them have gone through the, the regular, um, you know, publisher route, you know, somebody approached them and they said, Hey, we want you to do a book. And they, you know, did it, uh, that way. And I always looked at it like it would be a chore. You figure, I always pictured like Stephen King sit, sitting at a, at a typewriter and just banging out, you know, the, this, the stand, you know, which is like, you know, 6,000 page book. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, when I actually sat down and started my book, I, I, I was surprised how much it just flew, you know, flowed out of me because I had been doing these recipes and, and this stuff for the past three years. And a lot of it was just right in my head and it just, you know, flew out under the computer. So what made you decide to start showing people how to sell publish and, and do their blogs and all that? It just seemed like there was a very big need for it. Every time I would go to blogging uh, conventions and talk to other bloggers, they'd be so impressed that I had a book out. And I was like, I just did a book. Like, I don't know. I created a blog. I created a book. Like, why would I not do one if I had the content? And that seemed to blow so many people's minds that I was like, let me share with you how I did it. So you can see that at the most basic level, it's not that hard. It's a lot of work and there's a lot that goes into it, but it's not it's not a hard process. It's not doing like rocket science or something. And so I started laying out, these are the steps to publish a book. This is how you put a book together and do it. And I took the same approach I do with sous vide and cooking as, as you know, Darren, that I, I say, here is the basics to get started and how you can really go through it at the simplest level. And then if you start wanting to do custom, you know, cross promoting on between Amazon and Ingram, like things get complicated quickly. There's a lot more rabbit oh, yeah. holes you can go down, <laughs> but I try to focus on those high levels. Like at the most basic, this is how you can put out a hundred page cookbook on your own, especially if you have the content pretty quickly without a lot of extra effort. Yeah. And I think that's what I appreciate is that um, the 30,000 foot view and then you can kind of go down and just make, take the scariness away from it. Cause that's what I had always looked at, you know, man, that's gotta be scary trying to write a book. And I had talked to a couple people that I had interviewed and, um, they were like, yeah, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, so I, I kind of got, you know, okay, well maybe. And then I talked to you a few times and kind of started looking at, you know, if you really look at cookbooks and you just kind of, they're, they're really simple. There's not a lot to them. And what, if you had the recipes and I already had a lot of the recipes cause I already done these YouTube videos and put these <laughs> recipes together or, you know, or, you know, used a recipe and kind of tweaked it and made it my own. And I mean, I've done that for the last 40 years anyway. So it's really not that hard if you already have the skills, if I had to do it with not knowing how to cook or not having, you know, a lot of the content already, it would probably totally different. My second book, I'm going to write about, um, technology in the outdoor kitchen and the indoor kitchen. I, I'm going to split it off into two books now because I think it's too much to try to cram into one book. I think yeah. having one for the outdoor side and one for the indoor side, there's plenty of material for both, but I'm going to have to start that one from scratch and do a lot more research because I don't have a lot of the, you know, stuff just sitting, you know, ready to go. Um, like I did with my cookbook, but still, since I did the first cookbook, that fear factor has gone away. I know I can do it. I kind of know how to format it now. I know where to get the stuff and know who to contact, know how to put things together. Um, once you do one, I mean, you can improve on it. It's like doing a YouTube video or doing a podcast. You know, once you do one, you get that first rip the bandaid off, you know, and then figure out, Hey, this isn't, this isn't so bad at all. You know, I can actually do this. And you get more comfortable at doing it. And then, you know, it's just, um, just like, like anything, you know, you start learning how to do it. Then you start tweaking it, making it your own. So I really just like appreciate smoking a pork shoulder, right? You exactly. first one is terrifying. And the second one's a little less terrifying. And by your fifth, you're like, there's a breeze. Why doesn't everyone do this? Yeah. It's just like anything frying an egg. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> having fun trying to teach my daughter. Occasionally she'll come ask me to help her cook something and, you know, just, see how quickly she can 
catch on to some stuff, you know, and it's like, it's just like, we're all built that way, you know, to, to catch on to things, but it's that initial fear that kind of holds us back on a lot of that stuff. So how long have you been doing the self-publishing courses and all that now? So I first started speaking about it probably three years ago now at a conference and I've spoken about it on and off since then. And then last year, I was really focusing on growing my website for bloggers to help bloggers more. And I was speaking at some mastermind groups and invited to speak at some blogging communities. And I had multiple people say like, okay, this is great information that you're giving us. Where is your course? I want to give you money for a course that goes into more (laughs) depth. I was like, well, I don't have one. And then it would come up with the next one and the next one. And at some point, I was like, okay, these people are telling me I want to give you money maybe that's a good sign that there's demand and I should create what they're asking for. So I put the course together, uh, came out around December um, of last year, and we're just starting the, the marketing push going into this year now. Now, since you got a, a programming background, and um, I guess it's kind of easy for you to set up these um, video type courses. I mean, did you have experience doing that before? Or is this something you had to kind of learn on your own again? It's all, I've basically had to relearn everything except for how to build a website, which now you can just use WordPress. You don't even have to learn how to build a website like you did when I started my blog. Um, I actually use Teachable for all my online classes and um, Podio is another example um, that uses it. And like with Teachable, you record the video, you upload it. They handle the uh, registration fees, the members, the gating of it, the lesson plans, like all of that, it makes the the process super easy and it makes creating any sort of like class pretty much like just dead simple. If you can record the videos, you can create an online class. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's one of the things that amazes me is how once you get started, especially now there's all these cottage businesses to make things easier, even on, in podcasting. When I first got into, you know, I decided to do this podcast and I started looking around and there's like 40 different companies to do just this, you know, you know, that will let you interview people on the internet <laughs> and, they're, and they're all pricing is all different. And the, the, the options that they have are all different, but it must be, you know, I know there's a, there's a ton of podcasts out there, but you know, hardly any of them make any money unless they're really <laughs> big time, you know, Joe Rogan and those type of people, those are so few and far between most of the podcasts out there don't make any money, but there's a, a, a big industry demand for people who want to make a podcast. So there's all these little companies that offer all these services for podcasts <laughs> for podcasters, you know? Yep. So um, it's just amazes me all these little cottage industries that come off a lot of this stuff. So, um, and, and the courses like that you're doing is is just another example of that. Um, And it's one thing I talk about, you mentioned, you know, making money through podcasting. And that's one thing I tell people a lot when you're a blogger and you're looking at these different options, you need to know what you're trying to accomplish with each one. And if you're trying to make money, like specifically from that, whatever you're doing, podcasting is probably not the thing you want to pick because it's really hard to make money through podcasting. If you're looking to expand your network, then podcasting could be great to do that, to get in front of a lot of people in your niche. Um, and with a cookbook you or any kind of book, you can be trying to make money. You can be trying to market yourself. You might just have something that you're passionate about you're, that you're trying to spread. So knowing your goals with any of these and why you're trying to go for each one makes such a big difference about how you will view success when you actually get into that process. Hey, I and, just saw your wife walk by. Jody with the, the cameo can't be a, a fired water podcast without a uh, Jody ah, running she goes again. <laughs> she can stop and wave next time. <laughs> she, she always, I always tell her that she can stop and wave, but she always feels bad um, doing it. So. <laughs> Especially on my podcast. Now we do the side by side a little bit closer. So like, this is all that you see. So you just see like a little head and <laughs> I'd rather have her be, you know, worried about the things that I'm doing, you know, than do dishes in the background or just, you know, not care. So I don't give her too hard of a time. Tell her she can take the Christmas tree down now if she wants to, you know, while we're doing yeah, this. <laughs> that's on that's on our end of the week list is taking it down. <laughs> Starting to sag a little bit, but yeah. So getting back into what we were talking about. <laughs> Sorry, that was distracting. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I mean, knowing what you, what your goals are for each thing. And when I first started, you know, I said, Hey, I want to start a Facebook group because I was kind of frustrated with some of the other Facebook groups out there. And some of the, like we, we talked about this before, some of the other people that run some Facebook groups say, you know, you got to kind of do it the way they want to do it. They don't want you to do this and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, you know, there's, there's regular sous vide groups out there, but nobody was really just kind of concentrating on mixing it with barbecue. So I said, let's see if there's any interest. And, you know, when the first month I had over a thousand, you know, members, I said, well, it must be something to it. <laughs> so I kind of branched off and said, well, maybe I'll try to start doing YouTube videos. And, you know, I dipped my toe into that. And, you know, just like anything, I, you know, I was, I've never done that, you know, done videos, trying to show anything to anybody, <laughs> you know, and I've, I've never been one to, you know, put myself out there and, you know, be in plays or anything like that, or, you know, yeah. stand up, even speaking on anything that, uh, you know, in front of people that I'm, I'm knowledgeable about, I just never pushed myself into that. But once I start, but once I started doing that, you know, I got more comfortable and, you know, if you're confident in what you're talking about and, um, what you're trying to do, uh, I think it changes your whole, the whole way you look at things. So once I did a couple of videos, if you look at some of my earlier videos and any YouTuber will actually tell you this, you go back and, and look at some of their early YouTube videos. They're just like, Oh man, I can't believe I did those videos. I look so bad. Even Malcolm Reed, who's got a huge, he's over a million subscribers now on, on YouTube. You go back to some of his early stuff. He's just walking around with a camcorder talking to people <laughs> at a barbecue competition, you know, and now his videos are really, you know, uh, well-made They're, you know, his wife, you know, does all the editing and everything. And uh, they're really high quality productions now. So, and I think, you know, once we learn more stuff and we get more confident and we, we, uh, we do that, that's what makes us want to start sharing that. And as well. But like you said, you got to understand that you're not going to make a lot of money real right away, especially it's, uh, there's a difference between doing something because you're passionate about it and doing something because you think you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. The two don't always meet, you know, yeah. now, eventually after you build up stuff, you know, I, after I started building the YouTube channel, I got a little bit more adventurous. I said, Hey, why don't I start a podcast and, and, you know, see how that works. So I think that, um, it's, it's helped me get my brand out there more. Um, and you know, so I do get more opportunities and the book is another thing, and, you know, it gives me the opportunity to reach more people and yeah, I might have a little bit more income here and there from it, but it's, uh, overall satisfying to me that, you know, I can put down what I've learned into a book and, and somebody buy it and get something out of it. So yeah. It's a kind of surreal experience. It's something that I'm still not used to, even after publishing for six or seven years, is that people coming up like, oh, I have your book. And there's people like uh, Stefan from Stefan's Gourmet that he got my original book and that's what got him into sous vide cooking. And now he's speaking at the sous vide summit and has a really big popular blog of his own. And it's weird meeting people like that, that got into it because of what I wrote and it's a really fun, rewarding experience to get that type of feedback from people that you helped you literally change what they're doing in their lives and added value to their life, which is something that you can't always say from, especially from, from a lot of my hobbies, like playing volleyball <laughs> with me never changed anyone's <laughs> life. You know, they maybe it made them feel better about their own volleyball skills, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I feel the same way. And well, and you're very humble and I try to be humble as well. I don't have an ego. I try not to, like you said before, you know, when people ask you, who are you, you know, to be trying to teach me this and he's like, I'm nobody, you know, I'm just somebody who's gone through it. I've learned it. Here's what I've done. I, I can show you what I've learned. If you don't want to, you know, don't want to listen to it. You don't have to, you know, go find, you know, Emerald Lagasse if you want, you know, <laughs> you know, but it's just, um, you're not in it for the ego. You're not in it to have people, uh, follow you, you know, and I, either am I, I mean, it's great that they do and that people will, Hey, yeah, great. You know, I love your book and, or whatever. I, I, I like your videos. I, I love it when I get compliments, but then you got the jerks too, that <laughs> do nothing but troll people and yeah, I can do it better. And, you know, you know, so you, you're going to have it on both sides, but, um, 
I, I look at it like I, I really like the compliments, but I kind of ignore the the haters out there as well. So I know you probably get the same stuff. So, but uh, yeah, one of the best pieces of advice that I got was one: know who you're speaking to, like what your audience is and who they are, and speak to them. And if you have a few people that are in that audience that are honest with you, you can get their feedback, especially before you do things and get their honest opinion and they'll be honest with you. But after that, if someone doesn't get it, then, you know, F them. They, they weren't in your, your, who you're writing for. If someone writes back to you there and says like, you know what? The photography in this, in this book is not what I expect in a cookbook. You'd be like, I wasn't trying to make people happy that want beautiful <laughs> photography. I was trying to write like a, a good, like information heavy detailed book about how to do sous vide and grilling. And I never promised that you're going to have beautiful photographs if you bought this book. And so don't let their, their comments bring you down because you weren't trying to make them happy in the first place. So if they're not happy, screw them. The people that you were writing for are going to be happy. And they're, that's all that really matters. Yeah, there's, and I, I've come to this conclusion a long time ago. There's just people out there that's all they do is that in their life, I guess it makes them feel good to trash other people. I'll get the stupidest comments on my YouTube videos, and, you know, I'll have like 10, oh man, this is great. I learned something. And one, this is totally wrong, and you're an idiot. And then you go and look at their YouTube channel, and they got no videos they ever ever made. That's all they do is they go on YouTube and just comment on other people's videos and trash them. And, um, so, I mean, I've gotten used to that and, you know, it's so easy now to just, you know, block them, get them off of there. So people, you know, I, I don't want people who, you know, are looking for information, come and look at it and see those stupid comments and, and think that's what, uh, <laughs> who follow me. So I get rid of those pretty easy. Um, you know, my stuff is not made, you know, I don't have a big production budget, you know, I don't, you know, I, everything is done off of my iPhone. I, I do it, you know during the day, you know, I cooking for my family. I'm not doing, you know, ordering all this food and, you know, throwing it out. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually cooking the dinner for my family on all my videos is I'm eating it for dinner that night, you know, yeah. so it's not for production value. I don't have a studio or anything like that, but it's, uh, I would have had a better picture, but my wife was giving me dirty look because <laughs> the food was getting cold. So I had yeah. to serve it. So I couldn't take another angle. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's things like that. And, you know, a lot of people appreciate that because they, 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 they live life the same way I do. You know, it's like, they don't expect that. You know, if it were Emerald or Lagasse or somebody like that, you know, that was charging a lot more money or, or, or that, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're going to have different, uh, you know, expectations from, from somebody, except, you know, somebody, guy on YouTube, you know, sit there and bust his chops on, you know, something, you know, so it's just crazy, but you, you got all, it takes all kinds, but so what else do you got going on besides the, uh, the self-publishing made easy and, uh, the, uh, the bloggers of the making bacon, let me pull up making bacon again. Yeah. The making bacon has been our really big push, which has been fun. I do a podcast over there, which, uh, maybe I'll have to have, uh, have you on Darren to talk about creating a podcast for bloggers or for, uh, for, uh, cooks. Cause I think that'd be a good fit. Um, so I've been doing a podcast there. We are with one of my partners, um, Eat Blog Talk. I'm going to partner with them, and we're going to be doing some quarterly showcases uh, that are going to be focused on different subjects in blogging. So it's been fun talking about that. Our upcoming one's going to be on finding and working with brands, which is something that a lot of bloggers are interested in doing, and a lot of brands are interested in finding bloggers. And the cookbook publishing aspect of um, that site and the course is uh, going to be a big push there. So I've been really focused on that a lot lately. And then, you know, I'm also heavily involved with the International Sous Vide Association and we're you know, doing monthly sous vide showcases there, which we're looking forward to uh, continuing to do. Had some good talks with Korea about International Sous Vide Day, about how we can kind of work with them a little bit to promote it. And, you know, just trying to uh, stay sane right now without having uh, having any of my evening activities still going on. No, uh, no improv, no uh, indoor volleyball. So I've been uh, just trying to uh, keep myself busy and, you know, out of trouble. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about how you approach it is you don't have to be full time if you don't want to. You can do this, this kind of stuff like me and you do. You know, you start out small and then you expand or you don't. You find out what works for you. 
and then you, you give them examples of you can this here's how far you can go or here's how little you can go you can do this you can do that there's all these different options that you have you don't have to do them all you don't have to do any of them but there's so many other things that people don't really think about like just looking at at the you know the making bacon site i mean there's so many tips on there just for a blogger that um i'm sure a lot of people don't realize that you know they're just like all right, I'm just going to write a blog and hopefully somebody reads it. You know, maybe I can have some Google ad, ads on there and, and they'll click on them and I'll, I'll make, you know, 10 cents a month. <laughs> they don't make, you know, believe me that guys, yeah. those Google ads, you don't make much money on those at all. But yeah. there's other things that you got on there, you know, ideas for, you know, working with, uh, with a um, manufacturer or somebody uh, licensing your recipes or, or uh, working with, uh, you know, local places, you know, like I'm going to try to work with some local places around here for my book, you know, maybe see if they want to carry my book or I can, you know, do a special event where I can come teach a class and sell my books there, you know, maybe on a you know, quarterly basis or something like that. So there's so many different things you can do. And, you know, like, like I said, you kind of focus that you can do as little or, or as, you know, as little or as much as you want to, to make it work for you. And, um, you know, that's, that's the beauty of this type of stuff. And similar to the sous vide, I'm a big proponent that there's no right way to be a blogger. Like there's, there's people I talk to and I've had on my podcast and they were like, I don't know if I should come on your podcast. Cause I was a pretty bad food blogger. I think I failed. And I was like, you literally do food photography consulting with brands who pay you to come in and take photos of their stuff that you got because you had your blog. Like just because you don't make money through ads and SEO traffic doesn't mean you're a failed blogger. Like they use their blogs to leverage consulting jobs, to leverage TV appearances. Um, One person I know goes on local television and does cooking classes like live with the news anchors. And she got that because of her blog. And people think of it as like, you just have to run ads and that's the only way to make money. But if you look at it, like all these outcomes in food, like, um, like Tiago, uh, uh, Corino from the, uh, you know, does a lot with the ISVA is a great example. He's not a blogger. He's a private chef who has a blog to promote his business. And so there's a lot of different approaches that you can take once you figure out what you enjoy doing and what type of work you want to do. You can kind of narrow down what's the way that I can use a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel or any of these kind of forms of media to move myself closer to the goals that I have. Right. Yeah. And, and you don't have to um, do anything that's can be construed as being wrong either. I mean, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, I have to, you know, get married to a manufacturer or something, you know, I have to, you know, uh, sell my soul to, uh, you know, a grill manufacturer or CV manufacturer to um, be able to make any money, which you don't have to. I mean, I, I've, I started out kind of doing some reviews and I get a lot of activity off some of the reviews and stuff I do, but I try not to lock myself in. I try to stay, um, you know, as um, optimistic or not optimistic, more, um, I guess, look at it more as somebody who's off the street instead of somebody who, um, um, is getting paid to do something. You know, I, I've seen people that, you know, work for manufacturers and you can just tell, you know, they're there promoting that product because they actually get paid from that manufacturer. I try not to do it that way because I like to have, you know, more, my, my followers, you know, understand that I'm honest about what I'm doing. I don't not doing it because I, you know, I'm not promoting something because I'm getting paid by that company if you understand what I'm saying. So it's, uh, but there's people that, Hey, that's all they want to do is think they can get locked in with a manufacturer so they can get a steady income from that. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either, but there's many different ways you can go. That's not the only way to go is to say, I want to work with a certain manufacturer and then get paid, you know, by them being an employee to cook for them or to do videos or what have you. There's many different things you can do. Um, and still, you know, have opportunities. And I always, when you talk about like working with manufacturers or promoting their products, like I'm a huge, I always push that as long as you're audience, as long as you're honest with your audience, 
they don't care. You know, like no one's getting upset if <clears throat> David Petransic's talking about polyscience or Cole Wagoner is talking about Innova because we know that they're being paid by them. And as long as they're upfront by that, then, you know, who cares? And if you're someone like me that like, I, I'm not locked in, I've done work with polyscience and I've done work with Gormia and I've done work with Suvizi, which is no longer around and a bunch of other brands. Like I was upfront when I worked with them, but I'm not locked in and people know when I recommend brands, it's because I've tried a whole lot of different brands. And these are the ones that I have found most useful to myself. And that's something I always tell people too, is like, if you're worried about selling, or if you're worried about promoting products or pitching things, the easiest way to go about it is to look at what you currently use and what you currently love. And that's a good place to start because you're not pitching it. Like if you, I use my mother-in-law again, as an example, if I would recommend this to her, I'm comfortable recommending it to my fans. If I have to justify it at Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to recommend it to my fans as well. Yeah. I've always been. And and I hope the people that follow me know that if I'm using something, I'm telling you exactly why I'm using it, what the benefits are, what the pros, what the cons are, why I like it. And, um, people really, um, I think understand that. And they, they, if you're honest with them, like you said, and, uh, upfront and, um, they'll understand what you're trying to do. You're not just pushing something to push something, but yeah, I, cause I'm the same way. I don't, I don't like it when somebody's just pushing something at me and you know, it's just to get paid you know? yeah. or they're sticking their name on something, you know, some piece of junk just to stick their name on it. And so, you know, it's, I just hate seeing that. Yeah. It's amazing the type of things that are put out there and just the low quality of it. Like there's so many sous vide machines that come out every every year that are there's no company behind them. There's they're just really cheap machines. And then you talk to someone like, you know, Dave Petranzik from PolyScience, and it's like they spent like two years doing their latest machine and like all the testing and the going back and forth and the like all the care that goes into it from a company that actually cares. And then to just throw your name on stuff that, that is going to be in the set, the first category of the stuff that's just put out and garbage, like it's just going to hurt you. Yeah. And, and I think with me and you, that's one of our benefits is we try to sh- teach people what they need to look for in that stuff. I started getting a lot more attention to my uh, vacuum sealer stuff because people are wanting to know what's the better quality vacuum sealer because just they're just like sous vide units. You can get a twenty dollar vacuum sealer now, and you get the ones that are you know the pump with the little hole in the side of the bag and they're junk. And you try to tell people they're cheap for a reason. <laughs> people, yeah. you know, they're inexpensive for a reason. You know, because they don't last long. You know, here's what you really need to look at, and it could be you know from a different you know, these few brands here, but here's what you need to look for in any of these brands. You know. How long have they been in business? I mean, you know, what, what is it made out of? I mean, is it 99% plastic? You know, how many, you know, how many reviews do they got? Two reviews? I mean, how long is this going to be around? You know, you, know, you got to look at that kind of stuff. Even though you're only spending 30 bucks, do you want to spend 30 bucks every six months on the same product? <laughs> you know, that's what you got to look at. You go, yeah, it's 30 bucks. It's cheap now, but you know, when it breaks in, in six months, you're going to have to buy another one. Cause you know, you're going to try to get a warranty on a $30 piece of crap, you know, that's <laughs> shipped from China. It ain't yeah. going to happen. So but that's why I always say most of the sous vide machines do the same <clears throat> thing, especially for the, in the lower end range. But if your Innova breaks, you can go on Facebook and yell at Cole. If your cheap <laughs> yeah. knockoff breaks, your SOL, there's probably not even a company that will refund you, at least at least with that. And, you know, Vesta and Gormia and PolyScience, like there's a company behind them that care and you can get a hold of people there. They have a brand that they're trying to protect where a lot of them don't. Right. So what's what else is going on? What else you got going on now? I, I know we, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I guess the International CV Associations Summit in 2021, we are moving that to back to a, 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 a virtual. Yep. Yeah, we're going virtual again. We're going to do, um, I think it's August 6th. We're going to do a virtual summit again. Um, it just didn't make enough sense, especially at the beginning of July to count on an in-person conference. Hopefully things will be open and, you know, with the vaccine out there and stuff, but things would probably be just starting to open in most parts of the country. And 
that means most of our attendees, you know, a lot of them are chefs. They're probably going to be going to work in the restaurant that they haven't been able to work in for the last year and a half, not fly to San Francisco for a conference. Um, and most of our sponsors and the brands we work with, it just wasn't feasible to get commitments ahead of time, with people not knowing what it's going to look like. So we've pushed that out. We're getting ready to sign the contract for 2022. So hopefully things will be back to some kind of normality that we can get together in large groups by that point. Um, and we're going to be doing a virtual one. And then we're just doing our monthly sous vide showcases, which will always have a, a great time seeing all the cool dishes everyone's coming up with. Cool. Well, I look forward to participating again this year. I think the, the, I think it actually turned out really good. The, um, the way we had to do it this last year. And I think we'll have a really good one again. Um, I think a lot of people appreciated because a lot of, we probably got more participation, um, from people that probably wouldn't have been able to make it to San Francisco anyway. Um, we just made it a lot easier for them to be able to do it online and, you know, you don't have airfare, you don't have the you know hotel to worry about. And, um, you can actually go back and, and watch it later if you need to. I mean, so there's a lot of good things about it. I think, um, all the participants, you know, were great. All the speakers were great. So it was, I think it'll be a good, and you know, it gives us more time to, uh, build it up and make sure that when we do do it, you know, again, in person, that it's going to be something, um, amazing. So, yeah, the more we looked at it, the more we thought this might be possible, but it's going to, it's not going to be up to the standards that we set with the first in-person one. And we want to give people a great time. It's expensive to go to a city and go to the conference and take time off. And, you know, at the first one, we had a, an entire reception that was all Wagyu beef. We had an entire reception that was all Cray and Cuisine Solutions making their gourmet food. Like we want to keep up with that when we do an in-person conference because we want people to be come away saying that was an amazing time. And we just we were, didn't think that we could do it this year. So we decided to play it safe, push it off, and make sure that we have a good blowout and uh, can really enjoy the in-person event. So if people want to find out more about all your different uh, courses and things that you're doing, is it ready? Uh, just go to the amazingfoodmadeeasy.com and look up uh, all the yep. um, more resources and all that, or what's the best way for them to go to? Um, for all the sous vide and modernist cooking, it's amazingfoodmadeeasy.com. For the make and bacon and the food blogging, you can go to makethatbacon.com, and that'll take you to the landing page for all the information we have there. And for the ISVA stuff, it's disva.org. Great. Well, like I said, you're you got a lot of stuff going on. I'm I'm really uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of patterning myself, you know, kind of after what you do because you have a passion for stuff and that's what makes it great. You're, you're doing things not purposefully just to try to make money. You're doing it because you have a passion for it and you like teaching people and it shows because of the way, what you're going into. If you were just doing it for money, you'd be, you know, charging for everything you do <laughs> or you get, you give a lot of your information away and that shows me that you really care about what you do. So it's, you know, especially in the, uh, the, the Facebook group and all that, you know, you give a lot of information away that most people charge for. So, um, I really, um, glad that I hooked up with you guys, especially, uh, you and Mike with the ISVA and stumbled on your, uh, books and the Facebook group. And I'm really glad I, I got to know you a little bit better too. So. Yeah, it's been great. I really appreciate your sentiments. That was really nice. And it's been great getting to know you over the last few years and work together more and more moving everything forward. It has been a really fun time. Yeah, I think it's you know great when we can pull each other up. I mean, that's I think everybody works better when everybody's, you know, got the same goal. Let's let's move everything forward, help people out. So, but thanks for joining me again. I appreciate it. I look forward to the you know, great 2021 and a great ISVA summit and um, more things. You know, more good things. You know, coming. I hope this whole you know COVID thing goes away and we can all get back to normal. And uh, I really look forward to seeing you guys in person in 2022 for sure. But hopefully we can do some traveling before then. Now there was something um, that Mike had put out there about maybe doing some regional events uh, in yeah. person. We're having internal discussions right now and starting to reach out to a few of the brands we work with about, you know, 
doing a three-day in-person conference and receptions and all that is a huge undertaking that takes six to 12 months to plan. Doing a half-day or one-day kind of event that you know has some demos and some good food and can be a great time, but is not a huge blowout, can be done in a few months planning. So seeing how things start opening up in different areas of the country later on in the year, we're exploring, you know, working with some of our partners to do you know, little regional events in their areas. We're not quite sure what those look like yet. It could be working with, you know, a poli science in Chicago and, you know, working with some of their stuff um, and having it be like a day of demos. It could be, you know, working with some of the brands that we work with, like Porter Road or Allen Brothers or the uh, the Lobster Shucker um, place and going to their facilities and doing sous vide around their products. Um so we're exploring a few different things that would allow us to actually get face-to-face and do a few things that aren't just online. So we'll have more information as as we get more information, but uh, we're looking forward to hopefully doing some of that. Well, good. Yeah, hopefully you can do something down here in Florida. If you need help with any kind of planning or preparation, let me know. I uh, definitely, th- I can see a need for that, um, you know, especially like you said, the, the smaller, you know, one-day type events where it doesn't take a whole lot of uh you know, resources and planning and, and all that. And maybe, you know, you don't have to worry about people flying in from all over the place to participate. You know, it can yeah. just be, you know, Orlando's got a really big, uh, you know, uh, you know, footprint, a lot of, a lot of facilities there. So, you know, yeah. maybe we can do something in Orlando. So that'd be perfect. Yeah. That's our plan is find some, find some locations that we know people, whether it's brands, whether it's presenters like, you know, like you that we already work with and, put together some small things that, like you said, isn't having to fly in people from all over the country to, to attend or to even present at it. Um, we think it'd be a lot, uh, a fun way to do it. And hopefully we can carry that through. Even when we do a large in-person conference, you know, in the year, we can still do some of the regional ones to give people that aren't willing to travel, you know, even if it's just for financial reasons, um, a, an outlet to kind of get to know us and our organization and the speakers. Great. Well, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate it. I look forward to having you on again, of course, as always. Um, so much good information. Make sure you check out, check out amazingfoodmadeeasy.com. I'll put all the links in the description below from um, all the Jason's websites and places you can look up for the Making Bacon and the, uh, the new um, How to Make Your Own Cookbook uh, course as well. Very good, very good course. Lots of great information. It helped me out a ton. So thanks again, Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's always a great time. I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Hey, all thanks for watching and uh, following on the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I want to thank Jason Logston one more time for using Food Made Easy. Make sure you check out the link below so you can check out all that Jason's been doing. Make sure you follow the Fire and Water Cooking YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and our page and group. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. And also, make sure you check out the Fire and Water Cooking book on Amazon or wherever you buy your books online. I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking podcast.